Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity, and yet more and more our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced, revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then drivethroughhistory.com is for you. The guys over at drivethroughhistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Two for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a politician from the UK. He is the leader of the SDP, the Social Democratic Party. And this is, of course, William Clouston. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Zuby. Thanks. Awesome. So I've done a really brief intro there. But for people who may not have heard about you, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, Well, I lead a a small but resurgent political party in the UK, the Social Democrats. Um, We are sort of a centre-left on economics party, but quite traditional on on cultural issues. So we're a a party that sort of blends, I guess you'd call parts of the left and parts of the right. Um, And it's a political project which is growing rapidly at the moment. I think people look out onto the political landscape in the UK and they're not very satisfied about what they see. So um, we're here and we're building and, and it's going well. Yeah, that's cool. And um, tell us a little bit about the SDP itself. You said it takes elements of the left and elements of the right. So can you talk about that in a bit more detail? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a party that has a, quite a grand uh, history. It was, it was a, basically a split. It was a, an offshoot of the Labour Party in the 1980s. And it had a huge impact in the 1980s. Uh, the aim was to sort of break the mould of the, the dominance of uh, the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. And it's interesting, most, most Anglo countries, um, there's something, something cultural going on here, because most Anglo countries have a two-party system. Mm. And I don't think we're very well served by it uh, for lots of reasons. But so the, the party was set up to try and challenge that. Uh, very, very successful in the 80s. Then it sort of faded away a little bit, 90s and, and beyond that. Uh, but people kept it alive. People kept the party going. And... Just at this moment in time, there's a, a sort of resonance, a, a desire for something different. Mm-hmm. As I say, people look on the political landscape and they see uh, what they see they're not very satisfied with. Um, and so they look to, to something new and something fresh, I guess. So the, uh, the SDP is growing uh, because of that partly. But it's, it's a very, I mean, it, we're very used to the idea of left and right. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it's sort of the left-right axis is, is how a lot of people... Uh, think about politics but actually it's I mean it has some use as a lens I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't and I I describe parts of our politics in left and right terms but actually you know Zubi in most most cases people ha- people's views are a combination aren't they mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and mo- most certainly most certainly yeah. I mean I, I I sort of I made the when I did the Joe Rogan podcast last year I made a a joke but a real point that we're living in a time where um Politics is binary, but gender is a spectrum, which, um, <laughs> which, which sort of sums up people's basic level thinking, which is, um, you know, as someone who doesn't really enjoy politically labeling myself, I don't care if other people label me, 
But um, yeah, most people are pretty nuanced and they certainly should be. And I think a big problem, whether you're talking about the UK or parts of Europe or the US, is that the sort of binary split creates a lot of groupthink and mm. it doesn't give people much it doesn't give people much wiggle room because oh. most yeah most people certainly have a range of views and you may align down with one side on certain things but on the other side on other things and with the way things are going and even people's rhetoric from the politicians to just general people it's like you have to be 100% all the way on one thing or 100% all the way on this and I what I find weird is when you can predict all of people's views based on just yeah. one knowing one thing and that to me suggests that people aren't really sort of thinking that's absolutely right then the the people i mean they're the least interesting people you can meet at parties mm. those people where you can predict all of the other ideas that they have and in reality as i say most people are not in that situation certainly i'd say probably non-political people particularly are not mm -hmm. easily categorized like that and um you know, and families and structures work on on a on a on the basis of a bit of this and a bit of that. But um, the S the Social Democrats offer uh, what we're looking at is this sort of sweet spot, uh, and it's just where we are. We're not cynically doing this; it's just where we are politically. But what we're looking at is this sort of sweet spot of of solid centre left economics. So you know, build some council houses. You know, have good quality public transport and railways and so on do some industrial policy, uh, but combine that with a sort of traditional approach to, to life, mm -hmm. uh, which means respecting the importance of the family as the, as the basic social foundation we have. Being a bit more communitarian in the way we do things. I think we've had about 30 years of very, very liberal uh, governance, both from, you know, you, you've got it from both sides. So you've got liberal economics combined with very liberal social attitudes. And people are a little bit sick of that. And um, what we've lost is, is, the, is the us in the, in the sort of balance of me, me, me. It's, 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 it's about us as well. And again, most people can see that. Um, we're also pro-nation pro state, which for a sort of centre-left economics party, people find, you know, pe people are so reluctant in the West to, to back their nation. You know, they're, they're mm. sort of um, apologetic about it almost. Um, you don't see this around the world, actually. People are pretty, pretty happy to be behind their nation. And, of course, a nation um, unites people. It's where we convene stuff to do things together. So, mm. yeah, I mean, the, I think what one of the things I'm most confident about is, is about the offer, you know, where we are. I think where we are sits right on top of about half the population in yeah. the UK. Why do you think it is that Western countries... I mean, we're living in a time where it's it's not cool to be patriotic, mm. right? It's like you're you're not supposed to be patriotic if you're from the UK, if you're from the US, if you're from these countries. You're you're supposed to engage in guilt. You're not supposed to want to fly the British flag or the Saint George's flag. In fact, someone may call you call you racist for wanting to do so, right? People think that there's this sort of I don't know. There's this. There's this shame. There's this weird mentality that you're not supposed to really be proud of being British, or you're not really supposed to be proud to be an American, etc. And I don't think it's always been like that. I mean, I'm I'm 33. Like I'm I'm not you know I'm not I'm not super duper old. But it seems like that has sort of shifted even in the last 10 years, where we've now reached this weird place where it's like, oh, actually no, the, the UK is terrible. Actually, no, America is terrible. We need to rip this down. We shouldn't be proud of, we shouldn't be proud of who, who we are, whether you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you're an immigrant or you're someone who um, family originates from England or whatever the case, there's just this strange, there's this strange shift in culture. And I've got some ideas around that, but what do you think, where do you think that stems from? I, well, it goes a long, long way back. And actually you can't, uh, you can't just make a society like become like that in, in five minutes. Mm. Uh, and I think the genealogy of the, uh, of the ideas, are, actually, I'm not joking, probably in some ways in England, go back to Norman conquest, but let's leave that aside. Certainly go back to the division between, uh, you know, landowners and the ordinary people mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of years ago, where the landowner would go off on the grand tour to Italy 
uh, come back and show off the art and the stuff they bought and get into uh, foreign cuisine. And everything domestic was a little bit sort of déclassé, a little bit sort of not very good. Mm. So that that type of thinking um, was probably always there for you know from a long way back. But I think um, it really starts to sort of bubble up late 1900s, um, oh so, sorry, late 1800s, and then Bloomsbury Group in the 30s. Uh, a lot of um, intellectuals. I mean, George Orwell talks about this, the lack of patriotism. You know, I think he said that the most intellectuals would prefer to steal from the poor box than to stand for the national anthem. Mm. And that he was talking in the 30s. So it goes back all the way. And then, so these ideas percolate through into the universities and then become the established sort of uh, intellectual view. And, and I think that's very important because when that becomes the established intellectual view, it sort of percolates through the culture. So, you know, out from universities into uh, popular culture, into literature, into mm -hmm. art and into media. And uh, so, but it's very destructive because, um, uh, you know, if you, can't, if you can't look out for your fellow citizens, I mean, you certainly can't do, you know, moderate socialism. For instance, if, you want, if you're interested in a welfare state, um, if you're interested in things like the health service, you've got to have social solidarity. If you don't have that, you can't, you won't get the buy-in. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't get the buy-in, you don't get the sharing. It's as simple as that. So I'm very concerned about this trend. I think it's, um, I think in the end, nothing nothing good will come of it but it's so that i think on the domestic scale that's where it comes from um and you saw a little bit of it in the brexit vote mm -hmm. where you're pitching a sort of pro patriotic pro domestic type agenda with a very universalist um utopian agenda mm -hmm. uh, and, and and thankfully we won that that battle that doesn't mean you win the war because the culture is the most important thing so so what's your take on that yeah absolutely um i, th I think you you touched on and went beyond on a lot of things i mean i hadn't thought of it i don't know the history going back into the 1800s on some of this some of this mentality but from my own perspective and even with people of my own generation and perhaps even younger i think a lot of it does stem from the from the universities, right? A lot of these sort of intellectual ideas, the desire to view everything in the most negative light and to deconstruct everything and to dismantle everything and to want to, you know, the, the whole idea of critical theory, right? So yeah. wanting to criticize everything, right? So absolutely everything. If you're going to look yeah. back at history, you have to view it through the worst possible lens if you're going to look at the current systems and the way people are currently or even just human beings in themselves it's just a very very pessimistic worldview and as someone who's naturally very optimistic and very positive and upbeat i don't like i don't like any of it right i don't like it when it's applied to um history applied to politics applied to individuals applied to groups applied to you know where there's a lot of talk at the moment people are talking a lot about you know racial issues and this and that and it's all from a very it's all from a very very pessimistic negative place and i think it it's appealing because there's a degree of truth to it right so every every country absolutely you know any powerful country certainly great britain certainly the us you know most western european countries but most countries in general even if you look at african nations middle eastern nations asian nations etc History is ugly. History is full of really, really, really awful stuff that human beings have done to each other. It's full of wonderful stuff as well, but it's not hard for me to understand how, depending on what lens you view it through, how someone could easily look at the UK and look at certain aspects of history or look at the USA. To be honest, you can do this with any country, but I think people in the West are more prone to, to doing this with this very critical lens. And it's not hard for me to understand how someone, if you focused on that, right, you know, if you look at Great Britain's role in the, the slave trade and, you know, colonization and things like that, if that's where your focus is and you're viewing it in a certain way, it's not hard for me to understand how someone could come to the conclusion that, oh my gosh, like this whole country 
through and through institutionally, structurally, systemically, everything, you know, everything is racist. It's built on the back of evil and conquest, etc. What I'm, what is interesting is that that is sort of uniquely applied to certain countries because, because this, this applies to, to different degrees, but th it applies to a lot of different countries. If you're really to look at the history. Um, yes. I think you're bang on there. I think yeah. that's right. The, the, there's so much pessimism in the in the basic outlook so um you know say this country's imperial past mm -hmm. um you could certainly pick out bits that that, that were certainly brutal yes uh, exploitative no doubt at all but on the other hand um compared to uh, to other uh, imperial powers at the time i mean I, i'm interested in portuguese imperial history very interesting subject i mean it was the, the first proper sort of global string of pearls as you like from 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 uh, lisbon right over to nagasaki mm. through macau and uh malaya and so on very interesting history um but all things being equal certainly taking in direct labor scheme in angola and mozambique which by the way survived until 1974 mm. i'd have preferred to be colonized by the british and the portuguese and mm. i'm a fan of the portuguese culture but i so i always think compared to what i mean you mm. know and compared to what time um yeah. so yeah i mean the and, and the history of slavery as well um no one at the moment in cultural discourse would give the british or wilberforce and the people that were active in the it actually it ended up 1833 but mm. before that um to challenge uh slavery which was ubiquitous in all yes. society yeah. you know so i think i totally agree i think it depends i think people can make whatever use they wish mm -hmm. of the history and, and, you know, and, and grind away uh, a political um, yes. message if they want. Yeah. Um, and, but I think it, some of it is in bad faith because I mm -hmm. think the, I think a lot of it is the prime aim is division, sowing division. And I, I was proud to, to, to co-sign a letter uh, in the spectator that Claire Fox and some others, Andrew Doyle got together um, and basically the message was don't divide us. Mm -hmm. I, I, I strongly believe in that. I think without agitators and without people cynically trying to divide people, mm -hmm. I think we can get on fine, yeah. actually, and we do. So, I, 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 I signed that as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it, to me, it comes down to, you know, it's, it's cherry picking because the, the thing is, what you said, you know, cynical, that's that's really the, the ideal word. Because yeah. if you look purely at the negatives and you focus on that, especially historically, then you can paint a certain picture. You do also have people sort of on the other side of things who want to only focus on the positive and not really mm -hmm. give credit to how, how bad certain aspects mm -hmm. were. But the sort of honest approach to me is to acknowledge both of those things, right? Acknowledge that, yes, Great Britain played a massive role in slavery, as did all of these other countries. Also, lots of different races and ethnicities of people through, all throughout history have been enslaved. It wasn't something that was unique to, you know, a lot of people, Americans, for example, a lot of Americans think slavery was unique to the USA. And it's like, no, that's just totally factually wrong. So it's like you have to acknowledge all of these different things. Okay, which countries, how, how was it abolished? How, how did that happen? You have to look at all of these different factors. And I think you can, you can acknowledge the evil and the horror and what's been learned from it. You can also acknowledge the way that things like this came to end and truly acknowledge the global scale and see that, okay, this isn't, this isn't something that's totally unique to a group of people or a nation or whatever. This is just a horrible institution that yeah. existed. I actually read a really interesting article the other day. My family background is originally, originally from Ni Nigeria, and I'm Igbo. And it was an article written by someone who's one of their ancestors. I don't know if it was their great, maybe their great, great grandfather, who was um, an Igbo slave trader. So mm. he was someone who was selling people in Nigeria to both people within the nation, as well as other countries, as well as European slave traders. And so they themselves were sort of giving their perspective on it. And it's like, look, it, depending on how far back you go and how wide you cast the net, mm. there, there are a lot of people who, I don't know, who, who, who certainly descend from 
people who may have been in, involved in all kinds of horrible stuff. But also in my general worldview as well, it's like, look, I'm, I can acknowledge the past, but I focus on the future, right? And I think the future is, is, a, lot more, is a lot more important. We can't, we can't change the past. So, no, but, but again, you, you're, you're, you're in danger of um, doing something which is very unpopular, which is very necessary. What you just mm. did then was nuanced. Oh yeah. No, they don't do it. So I was, I've got a friend who's got a, a charity which works in Ghana and I've, I've occasionally, you know, I've gone over and worked there. And um, on the last trip a couple of years ago, I took the time, I had a couple of days off and went down to, to Elmina, which is the big slave uh, fort, which the Portuguese started mm. um, in down at Gold Coast. And it, it is horrific. I mean, you, the scale of it is astonishing. Um, you go to a place like that and it, it, it's it, to see what was done there and to see the scale of it. It was the scale of the um, Atlantic slave trade, which uh, was astonishing. If you look at the yeah. numbers, it's just yeah. amazing. Um, and, but of course, if you take a, you know, actually my friend is, is, his, his family is, uh, is, is married into Shanti, which is mm -hmm. the big uh, um, group in uh, around, um, Kumasi, um, the, you know, the big city there, inland. And they were, they, as a, as a group, as a, as a tribe, they were massive slave traders. And if you're a smaller tribe, you, you, most of the people that got rounded up and sold initially to the Portuguese and then the British and others were just smaller tribes yeah. and, uh, under the control. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, so I get, I suppose, in my, in my friend's family, uh, if you were to go down, you'd be, you'd probably, you'd probably be more likely to find to find slavers there but the but again it's you're if you if you read some of the history or interested in some of the history you'll find out the nuance and you'll find out the human beings uh when they have power often they do uh exploit people and 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 this is it but the on the other hand to take any i mean i if, i mean the real history depends on values so so most of human history was is might is right mm. i mean until you put values into things most of the time human beings have have done what suited their immediate interests and morality hardly comes into it i mean it really doesn't and you have to i'm not you know i'm, I'm from a christian family but i'm not religious now but uh, i i do attend church sometimes but i i i'm not I'm not a Christian believer, mm -hmm. but until pretty much until belief systems like Christianity come along, might is right. And mm -hmm. then you have, you have other ideas coming into it and saying, no, actually, um, my, you know, people matter, yeah. you know, and there's, you know, so you have to, you have to, um, you have to see all of these events. I mean, I think, as I said before, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't want to have been at the end of, of most of what happened uh, in the colonial experience uh, until very, very late on. Mm. Um, I, I just, I, I, you know, it's, it's not good. But on the other hand, if people are going to get on, and bearing in mind that um, most of us, I mean, there, there isn't a route, there isn't an alternative to getting on, yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. you, you can't, um, hammering uh, differences or mining out grievances is, is just going to make things worse. And I think I... We, as a party, we've looked at it. We, we had to react to BLM and things, mm -hmm. which we've done. And I don't want to go, you know, we've, I think we've said, said our bit on it, but I, I wrote a piece for STP Talk and, and it, was, it was about civilized toleration. It was about the need, you know, the, if, if, if society is going to work, a precondition is that we tolerate some differences. You have to be, you have to accept that there are some differences in, in the society and you can't i think if i have a criticism of of some of the social justice warriors and, and the activists i think possibly many of them mean well but what they don't realize is if you if you if you put rules against everything and you every little uh, difference or uh, disparity is um is agitated against and is considered oppression and so on you're just in 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 a, a recipe for you know the you know just conflict basically mm -hmm. and that's what i'm worried about now yeah, I think a big problem with a lot of those movements as well is um, there's something I've written before, which is that any social justice or activist movement without a clearly defined finish line ends up becoming what it sought out to oppose. Yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So it, yeah, it, it comes around full circle and you, you, we're seeing this right now with so many of these movements. So for example, the people who now call themselves inverted commas, anti-racist mm. end up perpetuating racism, right? Yeah. A lot yeah. of the sort of, I don't know what they're called now, third slash fourth wave feminists end up promoting sexism and misogyny like it sort of it, it it loops back round where people are fighting so hard against something and then fighting so hard against oftentimes what ends up being this sort of invisible enemy that yeah. in this quest they go from being opposing racism to you know i don't know you go from not being racist to opposing racism to imagining racism where it doesn't even exist to you know a, a few steps down the line you now have people who are actively being supposedly fighting racism by actively being racist against white people or actively being yeah. racist against jewish people and it's like okay, um, it's I, I, yeah 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 you look at it and you're just like what what is what is going on I, here I think, you know i think you're right i think that's bang on i, I think the best basic description that i've heard over the last couple of years is brendan o'neill's when he talks about ID politics, once you become obsessed with ID politics and you put your, your whole, everything is seen through the lens of who you, you know, your, your, your race or your, or, or your ethnicity or your, or your, or your gender, mm. then, you know, it's, it is, like Brendan said, ID politics is a sort of gateway drug to full blown racism. <laughs> and I think he's right. I think that's a beautifully yeah. put because you start thinking like that then everything goes through that. And then what it means is that you can't treat a human being just as a fellow human being. You can't yeah. see. And I, you know, I've said, you know, most, most of the stuff that all of us want is the same. It, it really is. It's a, a sea of similarities. Mo mm. You know, they're united in their basic aims. Most people want a, a good job. They want a safe place to live. They want to build a family possibly. And, you know, and they want to get on. And, and the, the agitators, are a principal um, hurdle in mm. us all. Um, I mean, I was, I, I, I've rewatched uh, your, your most recent Trigger uh, interview and I saw the original one last year and I, they've got to get me back on actually. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> done it. Um, but uh, the, I think you made a very good point about, about uh, the sort of white majority um, reaction to this. And, uh, and one of my friends, you know, uh, Ben Cobley, who wrote a, a piece for SCP Talk, said, you know, because as, as BLM's agenda and some of the sort of hyper-racialized stuff is imported directly and quickly into the UK, he said, you know, he's never so, felt so white. It's never really occurred to him before. And like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't think about it very much. I think something I, I, I was trying to work out what, what happened in 2016 with Trump. I'm not a Trump supporter. Well, I think the... the um, I think liberals don't understand that he's their, he's their, very, you know, they caused him. Yeah. You know, it's their policies that have caused this. But I, in trying to analyze what happened, what does concern me in the States, and I sort of follow, you know, my son lives in New York and, and, and I sort of follow it a little bit. But uh, I, what, what concerns me in the States, and I suppose concerns me here is what, what happens if the obvious thing happens? which is that if, if hyper-racialized politics or ID politics is played out politically, so, you know, all Puerto Ricans and all Hispanics vote for the Democrats and all Blacks vote, mm -hmm. then what happens if there's an end, the final end game to that is that whites start thinking like that yes. and then start thinking, you know, well, all whites vote Republican or something. Mm -hmm. So where, how do you unlock, how do you, and didn't they think that in the end that might happen? Mm. You know, that's the danger, I think. From, I, I what think you make of it? Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think the, the problem is a lot of people have this very myopic short-term mentality and they will just do whatever is expedient for them to win at that moment yeah. in time. So as someone who generally bases what I do, like I, I consider myself a very principled, honest, fair, consistent person, right? I have certain principles which... I apply in all directions, okay? I'm not someone who's here trying to tell you that black people can't be racist or only white people can be racist, et cetera. It's like, no, right? Let's not, that's not, firstly, it's, it's, it's factually incorrect, right? That's not, that's incorrect by the proper definition of the term. But 
people play these very cynical games where it's like, okay, well, we this group can say this against that group, but they this this group can't say that against this group. Like they have all these double standards and triple standards, etc. And I don't like that because as you were saying, the argument against let me let me let me phrase this in a way of let me phrase this in a better way. I'm not a fan of people bringing bringing weapons and tools to the party that they are not prepared to understand could be used against them. Yeah. Do you, you yeah. see what I mean? So this is one reason why I despise identity politics, because it's like, look, so when you see some of these um, sort of very pro-black, like black nationalists on, on social media or in the real world, et cetera, and I'm listening to what they're saying, I'm like, you are actually totally aligned with white nationalists. Right? And I'm talking about like real white now. I'm like, you're actually saying the same thing. So if you're going to say it's okay in that direction, you are, I guess, inadvertently opening that door. You, you've, you've brought this tool to the party. So if you can yeah, yeah. say all of these things, you will have some people who react in a reactionary way. I don't think it'll be most people, but you will have people who say, okay, well, if they can say that, then we yeah. can say that. And, and, if, and what's your argument against those people now, right? If you're going to say that, and then they can just go, well, look, they do it. So if they can say Black Lives Matter, why can't we say White Lives Matter, right? Yeah, no, if they can say this, why can't we? Yeah. It doesn't seem to occur to them no. that that's the next stage. If you want to go down this road, that's the, that's the obvious next stage, mm. and that might happen. Uh, and, and there are double standards. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's the way the discourse is, is used. I think... Mm. Um, I think in the UK it's been it's been interesting because we we've again there must have been some sort of cultural preparation for it for for sort of BLM to come o- over as an idea and be adopted so rapidly you know mm-hmm. um, so and I, and I've said before I think it's odd that such a, a you know political movement's made such a large impact quickly has had so little scrutiny of its basic published mm-hmm. aims and I, I you know and I guess everyone said enough about that but it's yeah. it, 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 strange Uh, i think i think it stems back to what we were talking about at the beginning of people not there being this sort of like collective guilt slash shame of people like nobody wants to be called racist people don't want to be called names no one wants to be called a racist now no one wants to be called a a a nazi or a white supremacist or this or that etc by the way names which i've been called as a as a young black person which is you know amusing if it weren't so ridiculous but yes. it's like people just throw these labels out so quickly and everyone's just trying to silence each other. And as you said before, it just eliminates the room for any nuance. And to me, to me, that's that's just dangerous long term. I, I can I can see in the short term why people think like, OK, this is a convenient and useful and expedient thing to do or say. But in the long term, I'm always trying to kind of like pull people back off that edge and say, like, look, like, let's just not let's not play those games right this is we, we we've we've been here before like this is this has happened yeah. in history in the past this has happened in other countries so let's not just don't just do the same thing in inverse and yeah. think that's all good that's right i mean that's the, some of the the recent stuff about you know any buy from black businesses and things well and i would say okay i can you know i can actually see why someone might say that but actually mm. it's not that far from what they were doing in the 30s in germany either yeah. don't don't like Jewish businesses or, or you know so um, I don't know I you've you've said before and I think you have been an inspiration to a lot of people in terms of calling for for sort of sane honest voices mm. and, and to, to try and because there's so much tension about and that's why the nuance can't get in there because you try and you know politicians are terrified of saying putting a foot wrong so there's certain issues they literally just won't won't um, won't go near but yeah. on the and I know I, I, I would acknowledge it's easier for a smaller political party to 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 truth to, mm. to speak the truth on things. Um, There's the certainly less pressure from vested interests on us, so we try and just just get the right policy. I mean, the idea is to get the right policy on absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, we, but you know, someone's got to hold the middle. As mm-hmm. it, you know, someone has to try and um, negotiate these things in a reasonable way and a sort of an obje- objective way. Because another thing I think which touches on what we've we've discussed is the extent to which emotion has, has seems to be trumping um everything now yes. so it's not it's not objectivity it's not uh you know i mean i, I you know if you listen to um you know coleman hughes and, and john mcwerter i'm a big fan of mcwerter 
gave an interview about it a year ago. Uh, and he, he was asking why people couldn't acknowledge, why it was fashionable for people to resist the idea that there's been progress on, um, in terms of racial harmony, in terms mm -hmm. of access. And, you know, you're saying as if the Civil Rights Act of 64 didn't happen. Yeah. People want to, I mean, in, in other words, it's getting better. And mm -hmm. it's the same in Britain. Uh, intermarriage uh, attitudes in the, in the British Social Attitudes Survey all show a persistent decline in, in, uh, in you know, racist attitudes. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's demonstrable progress. But it's weird because at the time you've got this progress, you've got other people who are determined to see no progress at all. Yes. But were to say, why? What, what is wrong? I, mm. What's your take on that? I've, I've got two takes on that. Number one is that there is a business around this, right? There are people who make their living um, both in politics, but also as writers, as speakers, as authors. There are people who make a living off yeah. of um, grievances, whether that is racism or perceived racism or imagined racism or that is sexism, right? The feminism is, is an industry. Racial, what I call race hustling, is an industry. Um, it's expedient for certain politicians to use these tactics to shore up votes from different groups and different communities, etc. So I think that, uh, and then same in the media as well, their, their media is incentivized to talk about some of these things and sow some um, disharmony and, you know, discord and stuff like that. So I think that's actually a big part of it. I think the incentive structure is kind yeah. of messed up to keep it alive. There are, there's a small percentage of people who thrive on it, right? If, if, they, if you actually got rid of, if you 100% got rid of all of these things and people stopped thinking this way and looking at each other this way, then these people are now out of a job, right? They can no longer hustle their stuff. They can't sell their books. They can't do their speaking gigs. They can't do their coming into companies and lecturing everyone about how racist they are and how sexist they are, et cetera. So I think that's a factor. Another thing I have um, in mind, this is an idea, I don't think I've ever articulated this, but um, I think from a psychological perspective, I think that, I think we, we all know that human beings need struggle, right? So we all have this idea that people imagine that they, they enjoy their life if there was no stress and there was no struggle and there, was no, there were no obstacles, etc. But the truth is that you wouldn't, right? Like individually and collectively, we always need some sort of fight. So I think if you look in the past, if you look back many decades, if you look back centuries, even decades ago, there was always like a real obvious in the West, there was always a real obvious legitimate social justice issue or cause, right? If you look in the law books, there were times where it's like, okay, it's not, you know, this group is not allowed to do this. That group's not allowed to do that. There wasn't true equality under the law. There wasn't true um, fairness in terms of the way the vast majority of people viewed each other and treated each other and access and things like that. And if you think of it right now in 2020, if you live in the UK, if you live in um, the West, essentially, this is the first time and first place where there's actually true equality under the law. I mean, I would argue that with the um, legalization of same-sex marriage, I would say that was like the final, I would actually say that was like the final thing that someone could have yeah. made a legitimate argument as like, okay, that, that one is not fair. And if you think of it, a lot of this mad stuff began after that, right? Yeah. If you think, <laughs> so. I, th I think that's, uh, so I would take from that is that yeah. as you've got you know, really, really, really significant, important emancipation being, mm -hmm. which are, by the way, accepted by everyone pretty mm -hmm. much. Again, on the data, no one wants to go back. So people are, are you know, um, the great liberalization, 50s, 60s is, is in the bag. And then what happens is, because you've, you've got those, people have tried to find that ever smaller bits in the tiny little bit in the pyramid that's mm -hmm. left um, to, to agitate exactly. on. And it becomes absurd. I mean, yeah. yeah. And they'll make I, it up if, I, and they'll make it up if they have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we, but again, we're trying to, our, part of our political project is trying to sort of hold the middle and trying to represent. See, I think there's a main, there's a real misalignment between the press. I mean, the press is dreadful. I think mm. the selective reporting and quality reporting, we I mean, look at what happens in the New York Times now, it's dreadful. That's become a useless paper. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I you know so I think that's that's a major problem but they're not representing the the majority that most most people the mainstream majority are pretty uh, liberal pretty tolerant want to live in a, a reasonable society have no trouble getting on with people mm. in the real out in the real world so you're your political project is try to represent that view and trying to get it right. I, I saw your, obviously everyone saw your um, transgender deadlift <laughs> record, but actually I think you made, Zuby, I think you made a, made a great point there, really, really important point. And we, we published, um, finally we worked on it. We didn't want to do it, you know, just, just quickly, we wanted to get it right. And we published our um, uh, policy on, on, balancing transgender rights with uh, uh, biological sex-based rights um, mm. a couple of weeks ago. And I think we've got it right. I think it proves it can be done in that some people do feel they're in their own body and some people want to, to uh, transition and, and have their legal sex changed. Mm -hmm. And they their right to do that should be respected. And I think most people go along with that. That's bit, but on the other hand, we, we identified three areas where you absolutely got to take a, an absolute stance on defending sex-based rights for women, mm -hmm. you know, which we said sport obviously is, is one of them, you know, uh, prisons and uh, refuges are the two others. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, and I, and the thing is, people, politicians are scared to go there. Yes. But you know, most people can see that. Honestly, most people can see if you had, uh, you know, even a few male-bodied athletes in a rugby team and a, and, a, and a girls rugby team even more dangerous and they they're playing uh you know uh female mm -hmm. uh you know uh athletes that it, it you're you're at risk of of injury uh in any case your deadlifting thing proved or perhaps you <laughs> you've you proved the point that it's also it can't be fair no. um and i just think so i i actually think I'm, I'm reasonably optimistic. I'm probably not as optimistic as you are by nature, but I, I'm reasonably optimistic about the possibility of convening a, a mainstream uh, position and getting these things right. Yes. I think you can do it. Yeah, I think, um, I think cowardice is a big problem. You know, mm. I think there, there are a lot of things where actually I'm pretty certain that if you went and you actually polled people, just, you know, you went around the UK and you just polled like normal people, something like what you just said there, I think you'd get... 80% plus, probably 90% plus people in agreement, including transgender people, by the way, because funnily yeah. enough, a lot of people who are a lot of so-called trans rights activists themselves are not even trans, right? They're just people who see this as their sort of chance to, you know, they miss the civil. I think there's a lot of people who miss the civil rights era, and they're a bit mad about that. So yes. they kind of want to this is why I don't like a lot of these modern social justice warriors. Cause it's like, you're not fighting, you're not fighting proper battles and the way you're doing everything is very cynical and bullying and aggressive. And I mean, I I'm not as charitable towards them as most people are. A lot of people think like, Oh, this, you know, comes from a place of good. I think some of it does. I do think a lot of it comes from a place of bad. And I say this as someone who's dealt with these people a lot, right? And there's, there's some stuff I'm like, this is not, you know, if you're threatening people, if you're threat wishing death upon people, you're even violently attacking people, which is a, a real thing, you know, lots of... I, I think that's true, Zub. I think that's absolutely true about the, the, the nasty activists. Mm. And actually, just on a really broader point, I think, you know, you can divide the world into to lots of divisions. But actually, for me, the you know whatever your politics are whatever your views are mm. the, the the real division is between nice people and people that aren't very nice agreed that's that's just the way it is yeah um but you you know you can get it right i think the, the point i was making about i mean we we consulted very very widely on, on on our trans policy and we're determined to go i think we have got it right we and as you say we we um consulted a lot of trans people who turned out weren't particularly militant no <laughs> they just most people just wanted to just want to get on yeah, yeah get on and actually all this stuff isn't very helpful to them it makes things worse yeah you know, for them absolutely uh, so yeah i mean yeah especially because look let's be real trans people are extremely rare so most people don't know anyone who's trans so a lot of people all they're seeing is the crazy stuff right they just see the crazy activists um, they could be forgiven for jumping to certain conclusions and assumptions yeah. of just thinking like, oh my gosh, like these people are crazy. Like what's, what's going on here? And I know, 
I mean, after I did that, that deadlift video, this isn't something I've spoken about, but with, I'd say 80%, 80 to 90% of the messages I've received from trans people were positive and they thought it was funny. Yeah. Right. The people who got offended were people, you know, sort of wanting to fake offense on their behalf. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't people who were part of this, you know, group or who even identify that way or whatever. And they didn't know why they were angry because by their own rules, right? Anyone who who said something angry about me, I just said, Hey, but I'm I'm a woman. I identified as a woman. And then they get they right, they get they get lost because th either they have to accept yeah. <laughs> you, you made you just made a really important point about yeah. fairness in sport. And everyone can see that. And and you know, if you're gonna if you're not gonna defend women's spaces on Olympic podiums, you don't want to mm. defend them anywhere. And, and, and it's like, and, and when you, particularly when you speak to, to, to young people at universities now, because if, if we occasionally go and speak and, uh, you know, we haven't been banned yet, see, we, maybe one day we will. <laughs> um, but we, we, we go and speak and, and, and they usually on trans, they'll go, they'll forget about all the points of common basic tolerance and agreement. And they'll hone in straight on to, if you don't, you know, if you don't define it in exactly the way I do it, then it's a, a rights violation and you yes. denied someone's um, humanity or whatever. So they'll, they'll forget about trying to find out what we agree on. Uh, they'll hone into the most difficult part of the mm -hmm. debate and do that. But anyway, so now I enjoyed what you did and I thought it was, um, it was, it was interesting and it, and it yeah, brought, brought it to public attention. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, the thing is, um, you know, the truth is, I think there are a couple things that are generally true. I think people don't really like being told or certainly forced in terms of what they must do and what they must say. Mm -hmm. So when you have, again, that's where I think these movements go too far. So when you're trying to force, whether you're trying to force someone to take the knee for Black Lives Matter, or you're trying to force someone to totally accept that there's no difference between a trans woman and a biological woman, or you're trying to force people, you know, it, it, we already know that that's not the way to do things, right? I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to go and beat someone over the head with my Bible and admonish them in the street until they repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Cause it's like, that's just not, it's not what you do. And, and in fact, people are naturally defensive and reactionary. So if that is your approach, you're more likely to breed contempt and resentment and hostility rather than look, when it comes to stuff like the trans issue, I think the general position is most people don't care. We're a very tolerant society, yes. and, and I think most people have no problems, and, and it and actually just adds to the sort of colour of the nation. Mm. I mean, I, the, I say I don't go to church often, but the, one of the churches that I go to occasionally up here um, is an Anglican church, and, and I, I'm pretty sure, um, actually no, I'm sort of 99% sure that uh, <laughs> the, the, the priest is a, a trans woman. And it, and you've, but the, but it's part actually in that case, it's you've usually got a, a, a Jack Russell yapping at the back and babies crying, and it's just part of what that type of Anglicanism is, mm. and it's and it's quite nice, and I don't think anyone has any problem with it. I think that's the that's the tragedy of all this. I think most most people have no problem getting on with things until the agitators come in, and yes. then um, and then they spoil everything by <laughs> by putting. You know, I, I'm worried about you know, the effect of the last sort of three months of putting things back years. And I, I don't know um, about that, but, you know, we'll see. Mm. What's your what's your sort of vision for the UK? Where would you like to see things go? Um, I think, well, I think we haven't talked about economics, so I, I wouldn't mind talking about that. Um, I think a really we're, we're a pro-nation state. We're a Eurosceptic party. About five million people on the left voted for Brexit. We never got much, apart from Claire Fox and one or two other people. Um, Brexit was portrayed constantly as being a, a sort of a, a sort of xenophobic, um, ultra-nationalist move. It wasn't actually. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people that the left have sent a case for Brexit is very strong. Uh, you want a, a state that can can look after its own citizens. You want. Um, a state that can make its own social and economic bargains, bargains that aren't made, decisions that aren't made by people behind closed doors, but are made by elected politicians and in the national interest. So we'd have a, our vision is a more domestically focused arrangement where you might have your, uh, you might 
for instance, run your own trains. You might even build your own trains. Mm -hmm. uh, you might have some friction um, on the border in trade. Uh, again, there's this idea, sort of neoliberal idea, that, that globalist free trade, everything get, being made by the, the most efficient factory, usually in China, is the only way you can do things. That's nonsense. It isn't the only way, and it wasn't the only way uh, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. um, so we would we would want to re-establish uh, uh, a greater industrial capacity, more jobs, better paid jobs. Because I think one of the one of the things that has led to Trump getting in, you know, if you, you, you know the States well, probably so you've got the, the train ride from, from say Penn station or New York or whatever down, down to Philly. And you just see acres and acres of, of factories that are closed down and, and, and sort of burnt out. Yeah. And I think the, the terrible mistake that the liberals have made is that they think that gutting your own industry comprehensively, gutting your own industrial capacity, in exchange for cheap stuff at Walmart is, a, is the bargain that everyone wanted. Mm, mm. No, it isn't. It isn't the bargain that everyone wanted. And if you do that for 30 years, you get Trump. You yeah. get a reaction. And yeah. you can't blame uh, people from, from, from saying, well, that is my reaction to it. Mm. Um, so that's, that's, that's one side of it. And the other really, really important side for SDP policy is the family, actually. Very few people will speak up for the family. And but it is absolutely the foundation stone. It's the foundation of society. Yeah. And if you, if you let, if you're so neglectful for the things that families need in terms of housing particularly, but also uh, just supporting the tax system for the family and married family, mm -hmm. virtually non-existent. Yes. And, you know, again, people are just not honest about it. The data, all the data's there, uh, you know, lads need dads and, the sad thing is that every time you try and bring it up, um, you're, you're shot down for saying what is a basic truth in which all mm. the evidence supports. And so we, we, we look at very, very seriously at family-based policy. Again, these things can't be done overnight, but, but you know, you need to, there needs to be an adjustment. There needs to be a serious adjustment to looking at what uh, supports uh, family life and what doesn't. And, and by the way, that's both, policies on, on stuff like housing and, and, and childcare and uh, tax system mm -hmm. and so on. It's also culture because I think what's been sad is that uh, the, vo you know, the voices speaking up for family life have been have pretty much silenced and the media, again, I'm slightly off the media a bit. No, go the ahead. Media, <laughs> the media won't talk, they won't, and mainstream media won't talk about the link to events you know that, that's linked to the family so you know on crime or something you, you can hear you can hear literally hours of debate about crime and and, and fatherhood is never mentioned mm -hmm. and i think it's it's a mistake uh, and i think most of the public know it's a mistake but again it's one of these situations it sort of explains what we're doing as a project because what we know is true no one's speaking about and none, none of the establishment parties are prepared to speak on it but we are so if you, if you are if you have the guts to, to bat for it, you, you do assemble people saying, thank, thank the Lord, someone's actually saying this and that's that's what we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that's that's a, a summary of what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, that sounds really positive. I, I'm very, very pro-family. I think that, I think that, look, I think, I think father absence and broken families, I'll put it simply, I think that is the biggest problem in the modern West, period. I think, uh, I, I think that is the root of so many of the other problems that follow downstream, whether people are looking at violent crime or they're looking at um, economic issues, poverty, et cetera. I think the amount of it that stems from, you know, households without fathers, whole generations, groups, communities of people, whether you're looking at, you know, young men stabbing each other in London or Birmingham or young men shooting each other in the US in Chicago or Baltimore or, or New York like if you look you the pattern's so obvious it's such a it's such an obvious pattern and we've got the statistics about this and like you said it just seems in a lot of places no one wants to address this head on i mean i think it's very difficult because like you said it's it's not purely political right it's a it's a cultural it's a social cultural social fabric issue so 
yeah, I think from a political perspective, there are certain ideas and policies and things that could potentially be done to make it better and to help that. But changing culture is a tricky thing and it happens very, very slowly. So just like now, we're sort of bearing the brunt of some of these experiments that maybe were run in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, we're now sort of seeing the result. Just like that happened, I think to sort of reverse that ship and to, to turn it around and to, you know, if you look at the the rates of children, you know, being born to unmarried parents or growing up in single parent families, it, all, across every demographic, just going up and up and up and up. And it's like, man, that needs to be, we need to flatten that curve. And then we need to, <laughs> and then we need to bring that down somehow. And And that's something that personally alarms me. I don't have children yet, but like, if I look towards the future, I think, man, that really needs to, that really needs to change. And it can, I, I think, I mean, I am optimistic. People say, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. I don't agree at all. I think okay. the, most of these social trends, and they can be cyclical as well, but to, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a libertarian. I, I think <laughs> government action and good policy can make a difference, and it does. Mm. I mean, it does make a difference where, where they get it right. And, uh, and, I, and again, we're, we're, we're quite sort of pro-statey. Mm-hmm. I think the state, the right policies um, at national level can do a lot uh, of very important things quite quickly yeah. and at scale. Um, and I think so, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think these things can be done overnight, mm. but they are important. And I want people to talk about them. I, I think that's the most important thing to, to, yeah. to be able to just raise it and without being shouted down. And I, I, again, I think a, a big part of our project in the Social Democrats is to try and I mean, you look at the poor voter, if you look at it from the poor voter's point of view, and they go to the voting booth and they've got the, you know, the Tories, which is a Liberal Party, and you've got the Liberals, which is a, quite an extreme Liberal Party, and you've got Labour, who are all over the place, really, but another sort of species of liberalism with a bit of state action thrown in there. Mm. And if you have a basic a communitarian, traditionalist view of life, and you, but you want a strong state as well to look after, you um i i just think the, the the choice is wrong it's a rotten choice and and people who have a traditional view on something like the family don't have a cho- don't have anything to vote for yeah. and i think part of the project is to say well we can do better than that it's going to take time we're not stupid mm-hmm. it's going to take time to build it but we're going the right direction and you know membership's growing rapidly if you look every single year it grows and but it's 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 there and i think yeah as i say part of the project is to give some something far better to vote for. Mm. Um, and if we achieve that, then, then we'll achieve something. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a very interesting project. I, I, do, I did have a question regarding the, um, so of course, I, I'm, I'm much more libertarian than you are in general. But um, as an example of how the state could get involved to, he, let's say, heal and improve and fix the family, make families great again, is there, um, is there a country or perhaps a um, political party that you see somewhere in the world who you have seen do that effectively? And if so, how have they done it? Yeah, well, uh, look at, look at, um, look at falling birth rates in the West. Mm-hmm. So look at the total fertility rate in the West, which in many countries is sort of down to, to, you know, 1.5, 1.4. So you, your population is tumbling. Yeah. And the reaction of many Western countries to that is, so, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we'll just, we'll just have high immigration and we'll yeah. solve the problem that way. Um, but one of the reasons, and apart from, there are many reasons why the TFR has gone down, but the, one of the reasons is that the, you've had governments over about 30 or 40 years that have been actually neglectful of creating the conditions where couples can, can uh, you know, do the normal thing that, that, that they want to do and they yeah. used to do, which is meet in their 20s, possibly, uh, you know, decide to get married, find a flat and then a house and then try and raise a family. Now, yeah. as you know, and I say in a lot of interviews I do, uh, if you're in the Southeast, and I know you speak from the South Coast, but London's pretty much the epicenter of this, but the Southeast is in general is pretty tight. Uh, you know, how, ask yourself, how has the government, has government policy over the years assisted the process of, 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 of trying to enable ordinary people to, to meet, pair up, 
decide to get married and then raise kids. Actually, it's been the opposite. opposite. It's either, either from the Tories has been neglectful pretty much. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Labour, new Labour, for the whole of the period they were in, didn't, didn't succeed in building at a greater rate than the previous, previous government. So if you don't care, if you don't care about providing housing at a reasonable price to enable people to get married, what's going to, they don't get married. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's obvious, like it's obvious. Yeah. And so I think this is an example of where we're not libertarians. It can't be. I, I, mm. I think, I mean, I like debating with libertarians, but I think <laughs> the problem with it is that, and I, and I have lots of friends who are, are conservatives and they, but I do argue with them about this all the time. Actually, I think you, you can't be an economic liberal, full out globalist, neoliberal on economics mm. and be a social conservative because they simply don't go together to have some level of, uh, social conservatives, you have to have a state that's prepared to roll its sleeves up and, <clears throat> and, and, and actually do some protection you mm. know, to, uh, of, of the realms that might, might help. Because um, capitalism is very disruptive anyway. But to, to your actual point about which government, the Hungarian government, which I, I have to qualify, you know, I, I, I don't agree with the whole program, but mm -hmm. On, on natalism, on, on trying to get the birth rate up and trying to provide family and, uh, you know, and also supporting family and trying to incentivize it through the tax system, their, their government succeeded. Yeah. And, and, and it proves to all these people that say, we well, can't do anything. I would say just, you know, hop on a train, go to Budapest and, and, mm. and, and see if you can get an interview with the minister for the Secretary of State for families because they have yeah. one yeah and so you can do it i, I just think the main problems would be is that haven't wanted to do it mm. they just haven't been interested it's ne it's neglect really it's yeah. not they've been anti-family you've got neglect from the economic right mm. you've got absolute cultural hostility from mm. the sort of liberal mm. aggressive left and then in the middle of it the normal person trying to um think about doing what their parents or grandparents did it, yeah. you've got obstacles all the way and i just think we knew better than that yeah, yeah. I, I i i agree with you on a lot of that i think um you know if i could sum it up in a word i think it's sort of oh, two words i think it's like collective demoralization mm. Mm, that's what I, that's what i sort of think it is i think it's kind of like i don't know you get people are like oh, yeah it was it was good while it lasted we had a good run and uh, you know, <laughs> just just sort of some type of fatigue and just like that's it so that view is so fatalistic and yeah. I, I think they, I mean, going back to in the conversation, but you know, on, on BLM and, and, and police shootings and things in the States, actually good policy, the correct policy mm -hmm. can make a difference. And it yeah. does. And I know. So if you, if you want to read, you know, you'll have probably read about it, but Camden, New Jersey, you change the policy of what the police do and you will change the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I think I just hate the defeatism, I, you know, I mean, it, and it's been exasperating, because what's happened at this particular time, you've actually, you do have the wrong president. Mm. Um, it's not going to, you know, he's not going to really look at policy and he's not going to bring people together. But I think it might be boring, but actually you get your policy right on things like public transport and, and housing and some of the other stuff. You can, you know, policy matters, actually. Yeah. It doesn't, it's boring, but um, get it right uh, and, and it, it'll be a slow burn to success. Get it wrong, and, and it'll be the opposite. I hear that, yeah. William. It's been so good to uh, speak to you. I feel like this is a conversation that could go on for a long time, but um, we'll definitely get you on again in the future. If people want to find out more about your party or your work, where can people go? Well, we're on Twitter, uh, Social Democratic Party on Twitter, um, and on the best site is sdp.org.uk, which is the main site, and on there you've got uh, policies and some. Uh, some journalism and stuff like that so check us out there awesome william clouston thank you so much for coming on the real talk with zuby podcast it's been a pleasure speaking great. with you great thanks very much zuby take care i am the man sick with the slang sick and i'm destined for fame do for the fam not for the grand stunt me is destined for pain i do not front i do not scam put some respect on my name sick like a rain Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.